Praise the Lord. Stand to your feet this morning. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. How many know when we come into the presence of the Lord, um, we're bringing into the house of the Lord um, everything that is us. And so that means depression. How many know that? We bring that into the house with us. We bring anxiety. We bring the cares of this world. And uh, the Lord asks us to exchange that and lay it down before Him. And then He gives us what He has. And boy, is that a good exchange. He gives us peace. How many want peace this morning? You say, well, I brought it in the house. Well, can I tell you, you don't have it. He said, the world doesn't have it to give this morning. You don't have it to give this morning. Joy. You say, well, man, I'm a fountain of joy. Not without the fountain being within you, you're not. Hallelujah. How many know this? You say, well, man, I brought love into the house. Well, God is love. How'd you bring it in the house without him? If you have it, it's because of him. So this morning, let's concentrate on bringing what we have, which is not that great. The Bible says we are like filthy rags. And let's just lay it down. Let's have no pretense this morning. Let's not believe that we have something to offer him. He has something to give us. And so I'm going to do something I usually don't do. I'm going to read my scripture to start the service. Because I want to pray about what our topic is this morning. It's anxiety. How many know that we bring anxiety into the house? And I was looking at a statistic. It says 40 million people in our country struggle with anxiety. And um, so let me read the scripture this morning and give you... We're going to try uh, to lay all that anxiety before the Lord. And we're just going to ask God to exchange it for peace. But we need to start now. Why? Because here's how Paul starts the scripture in Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. When? Always. I will say it again. Paul, you're repeating yourself. Paul wants to repeat what he just said. He said, I'll say it again. Rejoice. So he's telling you this morning, rejoice. He's saying, let your gentleness be evident to all. That means your reasonableness. The Lord is near. You say, well, what does God think about my anxiety? He's near. He wants you to know that. I'm close. I'm near. I'm here this morning. Don't be anxious about anything. That's the center of it all. Why rejoice? Because I don't want you to be anxious about anything. I'm near. But in every situation, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So what are we going to do this morning? We're just going to present it to God. So how do I do that? Well, say it, pray it, write it on a piece of paper, whatever you have to do. Present it to him. Just give it to him. And if you'll do this, what will happen? Verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which transcends 
all understanding. Will you explain that to me, Chad? I can't. It says you can only experience it and it'll transcend everything you're going through. But it transcends all of my understanding. I can't even explain it. I can only feel it. Hallelujah. How many want to feel that this morning? Well, you're looking at the wrong person. It's him. We got we to gotta give our request to God and then he'll give us the peace that transcends everything. And what will it do? When you get that peace, it'll guard your heart. It'll guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. How many think you need a guard on your heart this morning? A sentry, some, somebody to protect your heart and your mind. You say, well, man, I stayed up all night and my mind was unguarded. Well, God wants to put a guard on your heart this morning. Hallelujah. So let's pray this scripture because it's what we're going to be focused on all morning. Exchanging anxiety for peace this morning. And it starts now. Hallelujah. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we need you this morning, Lord. Lord, teach us like little children, Lord, to lay down all of our cares. The Bible says it'll choke away the good news of the gospel. The good news of you, Lord God, will be choked away if we hold on to the cares of this world. Lord, we lay it all down. Lord, we lay the anxieties down. Oh, Lord, right now, we just pray, Lord, as we lay our requests before you and we let them go, Lord God, we pray that your peace would transcend everything, Lord God. Lord, beyond our understanding, beyond everything that we know, Lord God, we know too much sometimes, Lord. Transcend all of that and give us the peace, Lord God. Guard our hearts this morning in the name of Jesus. We pray all these things, Lord. And everybody said... Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I want to thank Eddie for those uh, prayers and those words. Um, I know he wouldn't want me to say this, but how many appreciate Eddie? Praise the Lord, just uh, being there. Not a better friend to me and friend to this body than Eddie. And um, and really my whole uh, pastoral uh, group that helps me pastor this church. Um, the dream was to have a group of uh, people that helped me bear the burden and share the burden and, and uh, be there with me to help me pastor. And uh, they've done that. They've been very close, and that's uh, Eddie and David and... And uh, Keevan and Jason, you know, all of us together bearing that burden uh, to help shepherd the, the sheep. How many know that's important? Hallelujah. Praise God. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. And before I get into this, I just want to tell you that, um, you know, there is a struggle to hear the word for the moment. How many know that? To hear the word that God has for the body. And uh, so I prayed all day yesterday, just sat in the same place and waited and waited and waited from Saturday morning to Saturday evening. And I found myself still waiting and praying till about 4 or 5 a.m. And that's when God finally said, okay, here's the word. 
And so about 6.30, I finished my message and went to bed. So just know that I am a messenger, and we will pray and pray and pray until we know that this is the word God wants for you, and not only you, but those who are listening. We've got to hear the Lord, and it's not always um, immediate. You know, sometimes you have to wait, and there's a lot of reasons for that. I don't know those reasons. I wish I did, but um, I don't find it. I think there was a time I used to sit up and say, almost like a spoiled kid, or can you? Can I go to bed yet? Can I, you know, or why are you doing this to me? And you know, but as you mature, you just learn to enjoy it and not allow it to stretch out. And um, sometimes he'll wait until I have to leave by ten fifteen to get here to church on time, and so sometimes I'm waiting until ten fifteen. <laughs> but I've learned you got to hear the word of the Lord. So this morning, just be very careful to understand that um, we remove ourselves from the message. The, we're asking the Lord to speak, and so that's what He's doing through this this morning. So let's uh, be very attentive with our with our hearts. Very attentive. It says, "Rejoice in the Lord always." I will say it again. This is Paul speaking. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, we can't forget that last three words, in Christ Jesus. That means in order to be eligible for this promise, we have to be in Christ Jesus. This is a promise to us as believers. Hallelujah. It's not a promise to everybody. It's those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. That's us this morning, hopefully. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we pray this morning that you would, um, Lord, just release the word that you... Um, You want delivered this morning, Lord, Uh, that we would hide the speaker, uh, forget that he's even here, Lord God, and uh, just hear uh, your word speaking. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, it's made for this very moment. It's like manna that is fresh every day, Lord, and it's uh, very profitable for us to hear and uh, be obedient to it, Lord, and we just pray that we would do that, Lord, and everybody... Praise that in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen, hallelujah. title of my message is, Freedom from the Chains of Anxiety. Freedom from the Chains of Anxiety. So we want to really delve into this. Why would I say there are chains of anxiety? So this message really is about how to not be anxious. How many have ever been anxious for anything? Paul says to not be anxious anything, but how many of us still are anxious? You say, well, man, what are the signs of that? That means that when you're laying in bed, in fact, I read a story, I can't, I didn't write it down, but uh, I was talking about in a certain country, if um, they had something against somebody, it was a West African country, that it was tradition, if you had, somebody did something that offended you, you were to have some type of an item, like a picture or an item that reminded you of that person, and you were to put it on your ceiling of your bedroom. 
And you were to stare at that until you figured out a way to get back at them. And you say, well, man, that's strange, but what do we do? You say, well, not me. I see a lot of sheepish faces. <laughs> but how many times do we do that exact th- same thing? We have a mental image of what we're thinking about. And you say, well, it's not people, it's circumstances. It's not any different. That's anxiety. That's trouble with anxiety. That's a night of anxiety. And sometimes nights go into days and days go into months and months go into years. And suddenly you have a problem with anxiety and it's many years of anxiety. And so there's, uh, you say, well, is it really a problem? I mean, is it really worthy of a Sunday morning? Shouldn't we be telling Bible stories? And let's talk about this Bible story. Well, the Bible story is reflecting a serious problem um, that God wants us to address. And that's the chains of anxiety. So what is the definition of anxiety? Here's the definition. Afraid or nervous, especially about what may happen. Feeling anxiety. Here's some examples, according to the dictionary. She feels anxious and depressed. How many have ever had those feelings? Anxious, which made me depressed. That means you were fearful about what may happen, and so it made me depressed. They are anxious worried or concerned about their son's health. Have you ever been anxious about family? Uh, People are anxious about the future. These are just examples from the dictionary. Uh, Definition two, causing or showing fear or nervousness. So if something causes fear or causes you to show fear or nervousness, that's defined as anxiety. How many have ever sat around just felt fear or nervousness about anything? These are common human emotions. Here's some examples they give. We experienced a few anxious moments as we waited to hear the results of the test. Uh, It was an anxious night as she waited for her children to come home. Uh, There was an anxious moment while we were waiting. He was waiting at the door with an anxious, anxious expression on his face. Another definition, wanting or eager to do something very much, especially because of fear or nervousness. Uh, He was anxious for more news, Uh, often followed by a verb. She was anxious to succeed in school. It was snowing hard, so she was anxious, the verb, to get home. We were anxious to hear the results. So how many know that even when we don't try, we have this anxiousness inside of us? Now here's a question. That I immediately ask, is anxious and anxiety the same thing? Is anxious and anxiety the same thing? Because I was looking at a statistic here. It says anxiety disorders are the most common. You know what common means? The most common mental illness in the United States. It affects 40 million adults in the United States ages 18 and older. So of those who are 18 and older of a 300 and what, 20 million population, 40 million of those suffer from anxiety disorders. 18% of the adult population. In fact, I heard a statistic the other day. It said 300 and something million doses are prescribed. And so you say, well, there's only 320 million. Everybody can't have a dose. No, some people have multiple. And so that's why there's so many. 
So how many know anxiety is an issue, but we're not talking about anxiety. We're talking about anxious feelings. So is anxious feelings and anxiety are the same thing? It says anxiety and anxiousness. This is the answer. If you look this up in a psychiatric magazine or a psychiatric website, anxiety and anxiousness are often used interchangeably with feeling nervous. And although there are certain similarities in, in the symptoms between the two, they differ. How do they differ? In strength and persistence. Anxiety is something that is felt on an ongoing basis and not necessarily a response to one thing. You know what that tells me? That if I have anxiety one night, it's anxiety or it's anxiousness. But if I have it multiple nights and it persists, I have an anxiety issue. So the only difference between the two is how often you do it, basically. So we're suffering in America from anxiety, the most common mental illness. How many think it's, uh, it, it, it bleeds over into physical problems? How many believe it, 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 it pours into um, sleeping issues? How many think it pours into health problems? And so this is a big issue. And the message that God gave me today is to break the chains. Like God was giving me a picture of a chain of anxiety and God wants us to break it. So now the next question, if anxiousness done many nights is anxiety, then what's a panic attack? Here's the definition. A panic attack is a feeling of sudden and intense what? Anxiety. <laughs> Boy, there's a common thread here. You say, well, why is God giving a prohibition? Why is God giving a command that it is a sin to have anxiety and worry? Because it's a big deal. Because if we're not obedient to the command on how to deal with anxiety, it's going to cause a lot of problems. So what's a panic attack? Panic attacks have physical symptoms, including shaking, feeling disoriented, nausea, Rapid, irregular heartbeat. Now, how in the world does a mental condition cause an irregular heartbeat? How many know this, right? Panic attacks. How many have ever seen one or experienced one? You don't have to raise your hand. See, I'm stressing people out by making you raise your hand. Dry mouth, breathlessness, sweating, dizziness. The symptoms of a panic attack are not dangerous but can be very frightening. This is not my words. It's medical terminology here. They can make you feel as though you're having a heart attack or that you're going to collapse or even die. How many have seen that in life? So stressed and so full of anxiety that, man, I feel like I'm having a heart attack. My heart is rapid. How many know a lot of people go to the emergency room because of panic attacks? Their heartbeat gets out of whack, they're panicking, the anxiety is too much to bear, and it's all because of what's going on here. The number one mental condition in the country. Most panic attacks last somewhere between five minutes to a half an hour. Let me think that's true. 
Have, have you seen somebody trying to recover from a panic attack? They're trying to breathe. They're trying to relax. They're trying to regather themselves five to 30 minutes of almost feeling like you're about to die. So here we are studying Philippians. And I think it's really important to understand who's writing this letter and where he's writing it from and who he's writing it to. It's Paul. Now you ask yourself, did Paul ever have any anxiety? Did he ever, Paul probably was on a tour signing books. You know, like to the Philippians, he probably wrote his book of Philippians and just had a little table and signed Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul, right? (laughs) But how many know that the Philippians letter, the one he wrote to the city of Philippi, he wrote from prison. So he's in prison writing the letter, and often in his ministry he referred to the city of Philippi with the words, you remember how they treated me in Philippi. Like it was harsh and one of his most terrible experiences. In fact, for Paul to point out, you remember how they treated me in Philippi, means it was really bad because Paul had a lot of really bad experiences, but for some reason, and I don't totally understand it, he really separated Philippi as a very terrible experience. And you'll say, when you hear it, you'll say it's pretty bad, but remember this, Paul was shipwrecked three times. How many have ever heard of a... uh, Broadway musical and a movie called The Unsinkable Molly, uh, what was her name, Brown, which uh, highlights the story of the woman who survived the t- Titanic shipwreck and uh, went on to be like a, um, a civil rights leader and they called her unsinkable because she survived that accident. How many know Paul survived three shipwrecks? Talk about unsinkable. You say, well, that's not that big of a deal. How many shipwrecks have you been in? Can you just imagine being in a shipwreck? That means the boat is torn apart. The storm is so bad. Things are thrown overboard. And a lot of people like John Newton, who wrote the song Amazing Grace, how many know he was converted because of an almost shipwreck? He thought he was going to die, and it was so intense and so terrible that he, at the age of 24, gave his life to Christ and wrote the song Amazing Grace because he was shocked that God gave him grace and he survived. Well, Paul survived three of them. (laughs) Pretty amazing anxiety, wouldn't you say, that Paul had to go through three shipwrecks? Remember when Jesus was on a boat that was about to have a shipwreck, remember the disciples were like, I mean, they were at their wits end. These were sailors their entire life. They were people that were in the fishing industry. And so they were distressed. They had lots of anxiety. And how did Jesus handle it? They said he's sleeping on the lower deck. Go wake him up and tell him that we should have high anxiety here. So Paul had a reason to have anxiety. He also was... uh, How many have ever been to a city and preached to a church... And at the conclusion of your sermon, people started throwing giant rocks at you. Well, that happened to Paul. Very early in his ministry, one of his early sermons on his first ministry tour, how many know that they took him outside and they disliked his message so much 
that they threw rocks at his uh, cranium. And you say, well, I could probably handle some of those uh, aquarium fish rocks. No, it wasn't those. They didn't skip a few rocks at him. These were massive stones on his cranium, pelted his head with them, thought he was dead. Do you, if you read the story in Acts, they thought he was dead. Something miraculous happened. They took him outside the city, thought he was dead, and there was a miracle that occurred. They got around him and prayed. He jumped up and started preaching again. I think I would have some anxiety with that. How many would have anxiety if you knew at the conclusion? If I knew at the conclusion of the sermon there was a chance they would hit me with rocks before I could get out of town and try to kill me? How many would think, seriously, I'm just being serious. How many would say, well, maybe I want to reconsider my vocation? I'm, I'm considering another career. That's high anxiety stuff right there. So think of the author of this. Another thing. He was scourged four, five times. I said, well, scourging, that sounds awful, but it can't be that bad. I mean, he was beaten with rods. He was beaten with lashes several times where it ripped the skin off of his back. Okay. He had some moments he could have anxiety. I mean, think that there, there's opportunities for anxiety. Now, I want you to compare... He also was chased out of town several times. He was slandered. Uh, Towns that he went to, they accused him of things that he didn't do and made him look like the worst person in the world. They they accused him of being a uh, uh, somebody who was trying to cheat people out of money, somebody who was sexually immoral. They accused him of all kinds of different things and slandered him, and that's why they felt so comfortable running him out of town because he was being slandered in several of the cities he preached in. It's very clear in the Bible this was happening to Paul. So all these things were happening. Uh, he was the focus of riots. How many know that? How many have ever had a riot done in your name? There were entire riots where they had to sneak him out of town. In fact, when he first got converted, they had to hide him, sneak him out a wall and get him out of the city. And he had to actually go out of the country for about three years. He's had some moments of anxiety, right? I think he's qualified to preach about it. He had death threats. I mean, no, he was constantly under a death threat. One shipwreck, you say, well, man, I've had a bad day. How many of you know the song, you had a bad day? Paul Popper, I was singing that song. He had a shipwreck. He landed on the island of Malta. Just picture yourself ending up on a remote island. You're on your way to jail, on prison, in a boat. There's a shipwreck. You end up on the island of Malta. You say, well, it's been a bad day. You could have anxiety. Paul says, well, I'm just going to make the best of it. I'm just going to make a fire here and relax. Bends down to make a fire and a viper jumps out of the, (laughs) the, the wood and bites him and latches on his arm and sticks to his arm. It says, and he had to shake it off. And they actually thought he was a god because it didn't kill him. Now, how many know these people knew about the bite of that venomous snake, but he didn't die? How many would have a little anxiety if you're sitting with a snake bite and wondering if you're going to die after you've been shipwrecked? (laughs) Okay, it's like, wow, God, I'm so thankful you spared my life in the shipwreck. Now let's make a fire. 
and he's sitting there singing songs, worshiping God. You know, probably a good moment, and then the snake bites you. <laughs> I'm just saying, Paul had reasons to have anxiety, right? So here Paul is writing to the Philippians. Now the Philippian town is the largest town, one of the largest in the region. In fact, this is Paul's first uh, um, missionary journey that actually went into Europe. He crossed over from Asia into Europe and the first city he goes to is Philippi. And it's a very large city and this is a military city. So how many uh, can picture in your mind a military town? Ex-retired military people, military town. Um, Paul comes into this town and in Acts, <clears throat> Acts chapter 16, it tells the story of his experience in Philippi. And this is very important because it was only a brief visit. And there's a little clue in Acts 20 that maybe he possibly was able to sneak in the city one more time and get back out. We don't know that. But all we really have is the record of the one visit. And it was a very short one. And listen to what happened here. Once, this is Acts 16, 16. It says, once when we were going to the place of prayer. How many have ever went to the place of prayer? Man, I love Tuesday night prayer meeting. I'm on my way to go to Tuesday night prayer meeting. See if Paul's experience matches anything you've ever experienced, okay? Paul's on his way to the place of prayer with his friends. We were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Now, predict this being, let's, see, let's say this is you. On your way to church, and went into a female slave. She makes money by predicting the future, by an evil spirit, Right? And it says, she allowed Paul and the rest of us, she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. How many of you think that's pretty awesome? I mean, this woman's demon-possessed, but she's actually telling the truth here. She's deceiving people. And they're on their way to prayer meeting, and she's saying, hey, these men are what? Men of the servants of the Most High God. Well, how is that? That's a very spiritually powerful person when the demon-possessed girl saying, listen to them. They're servants of the Most High God. And it says, she kept this up for many days. So Paul had to listen to this every day. And it says, finally, Paul became so what? Annoyed. How many have ever been annoyed? Paul was so annoyed, he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the demonic spirit left her. End of story, right? Very successful day, low anxiety. Let's go pray and let's relax. You know, and all the people were amazed at the miracle. That's not what happened. When her owners, she's a slave. She has owners. When her own owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they what? Seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. So now you're on your way to prayer. Pretty good day, right? But because I cast this demon out of this girl, right? 
Now I'm down at the police station getting interrogated. Right? Is that what's happening? Seized him and brought him to the magistrates and said, These men are Jews. They're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Now, did they lie or did they not? As far as we know, he just cast out a demon. But they made up charges that were not true. They're lying and slandering about Paul, right? The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. So we have a full-blown riot, right? The whole crowd is saying, put them in prison. They're in front of the authorities. They have charges that aren't true. And all he did was cast a demon out of a little girl. After they had been severely flogged. Now, you could be flogged, all right? How many have ever been flogged in front of everybody in the town square? Margie's the only one that, oh, you said first you had been. I've been flogged, but not that way. But they were severely flogged, which means like this is like threatening your life flogging. Like deadly flogging, like really harshly flogged. Severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Wow. And so Paul said, Paul specifically looked back to this moment and talked about how harshly he was treated in Philippi. And so my understanding is... That these stocks, and I want you to be able to picture this, very important because the title of my sermon is Breaking the Chains of Anxiety. How many notice he was put in stocks? That means you have a giant metal chain, the inner cell is solitary confinement, and they've looked back at those prisons in that period. And how many know that prison you couldn't even stand up in? You had to actually crawl into the inner cell. It was, it was a solitary confinement. You had to crawl in it. Like solitary confinement day is very similar. It's not a very big cell. You, your ideal is to drive them crazy by how small it is. So he was in a very small little cell. They had to crawl in there to put him in. He had a big chain and he had a stock, a wooden stock. And I want you to picture this because they say the stock was made out of old crosses. I mean, you know, an execution cross. And I think it was to mentally affect him too. And this cross right here, how many know that one that size wouldn't hold a criminal? And the way the Romans did it, they used a cross that was very big and imposing, very rugged, very strong. You've heard the old rugged cross, right? They wanted to make you look diminutive when you were on that cross. They wanted to make you look small. They wanted it to be rugged and strong and big. Now picture one of those crosses cut up and put into a square that would fit around your ankle. The heavy stock. And that's what Paul had around his ankles. In a place where you probably couldn't hardly stand up, and most likely had rats. Think about the mental anguish. Do you think you would have stress or anxiety? I'm just asking you, because you probably had a bad week. But how many think that you would tend to after, and you say, well, he's just in stocks and just in solitary confinement and just around rats and just treated severely bad. But by the way, he also was in extreme pain because he was not only flogged, but severely flogged. Okay, now let's read Philippians. 
Now let's read it. He's telling these people that witnessed him be treated this way. Oh, no, let's finish the story. I'm sorry. Very important to finish the story. How does Paul react to it? About midnight. Now let me ask you, how would you be feeling around midnight? Been a long day. I was going to prayer. Everything was going pretty good. But what happened? What happened to your day? Well, I cast a demon out of this little girl. Next thing I know, there's a riot. I'm taken down to the police station. I'm beaten severely. I'm putting in stocks. Now I'm in solitary confinement. Now it's midnight. How are you feeling? You've seen the movies. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow. You see him singing that in prison, right? Paul's not doing that. He is not doing that. In fact, there's other prisoners around listening to what's going on in Paul and Silas's cell. And it says at midnight, Paul and Silas were what? Praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Wow. Now we're going to read here in a moment what happens. There's an earthquake and the chains fall off. But how many know the chains have already fallen off? They have already fallen off, yet he still has them on. There's no chains of anxiety on Paul and Silas. And you say, well, they know the Bible. They know that Paul's going to have an earthquake and the chains are going to fall off. Paul's going to go on to have a great career. He's going to be the Apostle Paul. Everything happens happily ever after. But how many know they didn't know that? All they knew was this may be our last day on earth. If you've been severely beaten, put in, put in stocks, in solitary confinement, and the whole city rioted and asked you to be thrown in prison, how many would think that's your last day on earth? And Paul and Silas probably thought this might be the end. He just got started. (laughs) He'd been in ministry maybe 15 years. Thought it was maybe the end. But it says they were praying and singing hymns to God. Now I want you to picture them singing hymns to God and praying. Not just singing hymns, but also praying and worshiping and thanking God and loving God. How many have ever just went through and sang your favorite gospel songs? Like, man, this song makes me so happy. And, 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 and they're singing it together. And they're probably, one's probably singing harmony. One's probably tapping the chain. I'm just telling you, this is what it sounds like they were doing, doesn't it? I'm not making that up, am I? I'm not embellishing this story. They're very happy. I mean, they're, I'm telling you, they're probably tapping that chain and everything. And, and Paul saying, hey, you remember that one song? And he say, oh, yeah, I love that song. And they're singing them back and forth at midnight, being beaten and in a stock. And then it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a violent, what kind of earthquake? A violent earthquake, not just an earthquake, a violent one. The foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open. How many know that's got to be a serious earthquake for prison doors to fly open? And how many people's chains came loose? Everybody. That means the walls were probably, because they were chained to the wall. 
So I would imagine their chains literally broke from between the mortar that was on the brick and the prison. Probably broke right off the wall and the doors even came off. So split the doors and the walls and suddenly the doors are all open and all the prisoners are walking out with their chains broken (laughs) and they're walking out of the prison. It says the jailer woke up. He lived there basically. And by his own life, he had to defend them. In fact, they would kill them if they lost their prisoners. They, They literally were very harsh about the prisoners. It says he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted to him, do not harm yourself, we are all here. And in the following verses, he says, how can I be saved? He saw a miracle, the jailer. And Paul, after this incident, was escorted out of the town. And God delivered him dramatically. But what I want to focus in on is everybody's chains were broken. And so Paul comes back and see, I think this is an example of what God wants to do with our anxiety. I think God wants to break the chains of anxiety, the chains of fear, the chains of all these things that keep us bound. How many know anxiety can feel like those wooden stocks around your ankles? How many know it can feel like a chain around your neck? How many know that it can actually feel like a weight that's taking you to the bottom of the ocean and you can't get free from it? And, and the whole world, the whole country is struggling with this kind of anxiety. He said, but those who are in Christ Jesus, he said, be anxious for nothing. This is what Paul said, for nothing. And Paul meant it because he's writing to the Philippians who witnessed him rejoicing while he was in stocks in solitary confinement, having been beaten and about to die in prison. How many know that he could speak on this. Hallelujah. And so, what did Paul do when the anxiety was at its highest, when the stress was at its highest, when everything was to the extreme, what did Paul do? First thing he did was pray. It says he prayed and he sang. So, well, man, that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. That's not how you deal with anxiety. You, you put something on the wall, you focus on it all night, and you stew in your mind about it, and you fear and you worry about it. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. You pray, and you sing, and you rejoice in all things, not just some things, all things. And so, I want you to think about this pattern. And I was uh, actually, Lord brought it to my attention while I was sitting here looking through my notes here. And, and uh, I have to pull it up here. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed. In fact, turn to um, Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. Now remember, Paul... Gets seized upon, right? He's arrested. He's beaten. He's put in stocks. Put in solitary confinement. Treated horribly. And his first go-to is what? Pray and sing. Now listen to Jesus here. 
Oh boy. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane here. How many know he's had the Last Supper? He's about to be arrested. He's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Listen to this. Then Jesus went with his disciples. This is verse 36. Those words are small. That's why I always put them in my notes. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. Well, why is Jesus praying? What is the reason why he's praying? He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. That's James and John. So Peter, James, and John are with him. They went along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. I mean, we consider that anxiety at the very highest level. Jesus, this is Jesus, was sorrowful and troubled. You know that Jesus got troubled and was sorrowful? Well, I want to know how he reacted to it. I know how Paul reacted to it, but how did Jesus react? He was sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is what? Overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. How many have been so overwhelmed with sorrow or grief or anxiety, you felt like you were going to die? That's what we talked about with the panic attack, didn't we? He's overwhelmed right now. Jesus was overwhelmed with everything that was about to happen to him. Overwhelmed. So how does Jesus deal with it? We know how Paul did, but Jesus, what's he do? So I'm overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Now what's he do? He went a little farther. He fell with his face to the ground and prayed. Wish I knew what his prayer was. You want to hear his prayer? My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. So what was his prayer? God, if it's possible, take this thing that's about to happen to me away from me. That was his prayer. The only one that's listed, his whole prayer. Gets up, goes back to the apostles, or the disciples, what are they doing? Sleeping. Okay, what did he pray the second time? It says, then he returned to the disciples, found them sleeping. Could you not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time. Wish I knew what his prayer was. It gives it. His prayer the second time is, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping. So what was his second prayer? Same as the first. If you can take it away, do it. But if not, may your will be done. Right? When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away one more time and prayed a third time. Wish I knew his prayer. It says he said the same thing. Three times. You say, well, man, the prayer must have been longer than that. The Bible doesn't say it. 
It just says, he says, if it's possible, let it pass. But if not, I'll do your will. And so Jesus took all of his anxiety where? He immediately fell down on his face before God and prayed. He did exactly what Paul said, give it to God. And he laid down and said, God, if it's not possible, take it away. But if it's your will, then let it be done. And how many know that God, um, Jesus immediately prayed and gave all of his anxiety to God. And then another person that I was looking up was, um, in fact, Jesus, let me give you a little bit more on Jesus. Jesus, after this, right before this prayer, if you want to know where Jesus' heart was and what he was thinking, in John 14, this is after, during this period of time, 1427, in fact, 14.1, he says, tells him not to be worried, not to be troubled. Um, he says, you, you know me, trust in me. You know the Father, trust in me, all that. Then he goes in John 14.27, he says, peace. I leave with you my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. This is a man that's about to go to the cross and is overwhelmed with sorrow. He's telling him to have the peace that I have. He had peace about it. John 16.33, still in this period of time. I have told you these things. In fact, this is concluding words. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome it. Overcome the world. You see that he had peace. He turned his anxiety into what? Peace. He's trying to give him the peace that he has. You say, well, what's he about to face? The Bible says he was beaten and marred more than any man had ever been beaten or marred. More was inflicted on him at the end of his life than anything that's ever been inflicted upon a man. Did you know that? More was inflicted upon him. He was marred so great and beaten so badly that you couldn't even recognize who he was. He was facing that kind of anxiety, right? In fact, you couldn't, you could see organs, they said, after that beating he took. And all the blood was drained out of his body. The hair was pulled out of his face. The crown of thorns on his head, on the nerve endings. Uh, He was pierced in his side. He had nails in his hands and his feet. How many know that's one of the cruelest and the worst beating a man has ever taken? That's the anxiety he was facing. But he had complete peace. He turned his anxiety into peace because it was God's will. And you say, well, man... It sounds like, in fact, let me give you another one, Peter. Peter in um, 1 Peter 5, 7, this is another great passage because Peter is about to be executed, right? He and his wife, history says, were about to be executed for their faith in Christ. And guess what Peter says? Cast... All of your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. So what is Peter doing in his last moments? Casting all of his anxiety on Jesus because he cares about me. And you say, well, wait a minute. If I cast my anxiety on 
If I do like Paul did and I turn my anxiety into rejoicing, am I going to see an earthquake? Am I going to see a miracle like an earthquake shatter a building, release my chains and miraculously free me from what I'm going through? Um, And here's what I'll tell you. I prayed about that. I said, well, God, what about that? What is this trying to tell people about breaking chains? Are they going to see the miracles that Paul's seen, the miracles that Peter's seen, the miracles that Jesus seen? And the Lord answered me loud and clear. The Lord will provide the uh, deliverance according to what you're going through. If you're in prison in a third world country for preaching the gospel, I would expect the miracles that Peter and Paul seen. In fact, uh, depending on what you're going through, how many know the miracle that most of us need is a mental chain to be broken, not a building? Most of us are sitting up at night with anxiety and it's not a building we need broken. It's that anxiety in our brain and just as sure as that building shattered and they came out free from their chains, just as sure as that happened, God will free your chains from anxiety and you'll get a good night's sleep. How many know it's commensurate to what you're going through? And and you say, well, man, it's terrible because Peter died, Jesus died, Paul died. How many know that Paul, all through his ministry, was delivered from everything? Paul was delivered from Philippi with a miraculous earthquake. Everywhere that Paul went, miracles were done. Paul was delivered out of everything that he went through. God would let him go through a struggle and God would deliver him miraculously. How many know Jesus, everywhere in his life, Jesus was delivered from the enemy? In fact, one point they were trying to, they were trying to grab him and trying to push him off of a cliff and he was translated from the midst of them. I mean, God delivered him from the enemy everywhere that he went. And Paul, and same thing with Peter. How many know Peter was miraculously delivered his whole life? Peter was in prison. They had a prayer meeting because they were concerned about him. And while they were having the prayer meeting and he was in prison and had been beaten, Peter knocks on the door. And they're so surprised of the miracle that they say, who's at the door? And they said, Peter. And they said, you must be seeing a ghost. Because they didn't believe that God had miraculously delivered him like that. An angel delivered him from prison. And so these people were miraculously delivered their entire life. And Paul, for instance, is going toward the end of his life. And God supernaturally and prophetically said, when you go to Rome, you're going to die. In fact, a man came forward with chains and said, if you go to Rome, they're going to capture you and you're going to be executed. And Paul said, that's what God has called me to do. And literally made himself seen so he could go to Rome and uh, be executed. He knew it. He could have gotten away from that. How many know that God delivered him from several cities, several... I mean, God delivered him through everything. But now it was God's will that he be executed and he knew that. How many know that Jesus was delivered from everything, but now it was God's will for him to die on the cross? How many know that Peter was delivered from everything? In fact, Jesus said, Peter, Satan desires to sift you, but I won't let him. And Peter was always delivered by God miraculously until the moment God said, Peter, in fact, he told him early in his ministry, he said, Peter, you're going to die in this fashion. And Peter knew that was God's will. So how many know that as long as you're in God's will, he will deliver you and he will make you aware when you have to go through something that is that hard. He'll make you aware and he'll let you know, hey, this is God's will. You're going to go through this. 
But as far as anxiety, what are the steps to deal with anxiety? And the scripture gives us the steps. Step number one. You gotta choose. Let me read the scripture again. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. How many know you have to choose to rejoice? You have to make a choice and you say, well man, Chad, how many know some people are more comfortable with anxiety? Some people are more comfortable holding on to anxiety even when God says, don't do it. Don't worry. Don't fear. Don't have anxiety. Get rid of it. Don't choose anxiety. Choose to rejoice. How many know Paul and Silas laying in that prison had every ability to sulk? You think God forced them to sing songs? You think God forced them to be happy? No, they were happy because they chose to be happy. They chose to rejoice in the Lord. And that's why Paul says, hey, Philippians, you remember how I behaved when I was there? Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Well, it's kind of hard to argue with the guy that was beaten and put in stocks and the angel delivered him from prison and all the prisoners heard him rejoicing in his cell. It's hard to really argue with that because your day probably wasn't that bad, Right? So number one, you've got to choose to rejoice. You've got to choose to sing. You've got to choose to pray. You've got to choose to do what God has called us to do, and that is just rejoice. You say, but, don't say that. But this situation. I would, Chad, but. I would, but this situation. But this one's different. But stop. Because he said in all Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Very simple. Don't make up excuses. Don't justify the reasons. Just understand. Just be obedient. Just be like a good soldier that says, yes, sir. It's hard, but man. That's why he gives so many examples of so many people going through so many things and they just rejoiced. Right? In fact, you know, Jesus was actually singing hymns. The night before he was, uh, he was actually singing joyful. It's called the Hallel. He was singing the Hallel and they were singing joyful songs and he was celebrating the night before his crucifixion and he was telling them to have peace like he has peace and joy like he has joy. And he was overwhelmed. He was carrying a heavy load. Doesn't mean he wasn't carrying a heavy load. It just means that he chose to rejoice the night of his betrayal. Number two, let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near do not be anxious about anything step two in fact another version says let your reasonableness be known to all men or let your gracious attitude be known to all people how many when you're going through so through difficult things have a gracious attitude (laughs) how many think you have a right in the Philippian prison to be in a pretty bad mood like, yeah, I wasn't very nice to the prison guards, but, you know, that was the one that flogged me. Let me think you would be a little less than gracious to the guy that just flogged you and put the stocks on you. But Paul says, not only rejoice, but he says, have a gracious attitude, have a reasonableness to you, have a gentleness to you, a gentle spirit, some versions say. 
And let everybody see that, display that. Wow. So you're having a bad day. Rejoice, says the guy who was beaten and in stocks. And have a gracious attitude toward the people who are, who are making you have a bad day. That's hard. That's step two. Be gentle in everything. Let it be evident. And do not be anxious about anything. But it's okay to be anxious about some things. Like, this probably doesn't cover money. Because God knows I don't have the money for this. I don't have the money for that. I don't have the bills coming in. God knows that my family's are, you know, my family's problems are just a pain and nobody's really going through what I'm going through with my son or my daughter or my grandma or my grandpa or my mom or my dad or my wife or my husband. Or God knows that my car has car problems. So that probably is not what he's talking about. I mean, no, he says, Do not be anxious about anything. Nothing can we be anxious about. So that, boy, I wish he wasn't so airtight in his language. So no matter what it is, don't be anxious. Well, what is anxious? That means that night where you think about it all night. And if that night goes into two nights, what is it? Anxiety. If that anxiety gets acute and and really worse, I'm not saying acute, I'm saying acute. Okay, big difference. It gets acute and serious, it's a panic attack. So there should be nothing that causes me to have anxiety day after day and nothing that causes me to have a panic attack because I'm going to say no to it. That's what he's saying. Say no to it. Do not be anxious about anything. Say no to it. No, I won't be anxious. No, I won't be anxious. But what do I do? Just sit and say no the whole time? No, I won't. No, I won't. No, I won't. Well, this is the next step. Step four. So step one is choose to rejoice. Step two, be gentleness and let it be evident. Step three, say no to anxiety. Step four, say yes to prayer. So if all your time is spent saying no to anxiety, guess what you're not doing? Praying. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but... See, that but is where we were saying, well, no, 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 God doesn't know this, God doesn't know that. Well, tell him. You say, well, God doesn't understand this and God doesn't understand that. I have a right because of my family. I have a right because of my money. I have a right because of my job. I have a right because of my car. God doesn't understand. Well, explain it to him. Talk to him about it. Give it to him. Because he cares about you. Cast your anxiety. In fact, cast. When I hear the word cast, I think about fishing. Whew. If you ever used a beautiful bait caster or a good spinning rod, you know, you throw that bait. Well, that's not what he's talking about. I mean, I painted a beautiful picture there, didn't I? He's not talking about that. You know why? Oh, it's back. I mean, like those sport fishermen. I'm not a sport fisherman. I like to put my mind on the bottom and I like to relax, talk, wait for it to bite, put me a few bells on there, you know. But these sport fishermen, constant. Throw it, reel it, throw it, reel it, throw it, reel it, throw it, reel it, throw it, reel it. That's what we do, don't we? 
cast it and bring it back. We cast it and we bring it back. It's more like this. How many have ever had a rod and reel and it got tangled? And you got a heavy bait on it and you, boom, and it stops. And suddenly everything on your line sails about 50 feet and it's gone forever. How many have ever done that? That's more what it's like. That's a terrible thing. I lost everything because my line was tangled, but that's what he's saying. Cast your anxieties on him for as far as the east is from the west and forget it, it's gone. In fact, I've seen guys with these expensive lures, really expensive lures, the line gets tangled up, they throw it and it goes sailing and they go, oh, that was a $10 lure and it's gone forever. And that's what God wants. Take that anxiety and cast it and never to come back again. And that's where he wants it. That's where it belongs because you can't do anything about most things in life. Just cast it upon him. He cares about you. Do like Peter said. Peter was ready to die. He was like, just cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And then he went off and was executed. Wow. Paul saying the same thing. Paul's saying, don't be anxious about anything. Well, Paul had a lot to be anxious about. Jesus celebrating and giving it to God. If it's your will, it's your will, God. I'll do it. Hallelujah. So step four is say yes to prayer. Say yes to just giving it to God. Just going in God in prayer and say, you say, well, how hard is it? It's not very hard. If you're sitting up at night thinking about things, guess what you know? You know what your anxiety is. You're pretty clear on it. God, I'm worried about my job. God, I'm worried about losing my job. God, I'm worried about making bills meet. God, I'm worried about my marriage. God, I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about whether they're safe. I'm worried about somebody's health. I'm worried about my health. How many know you could probably list all of your anxieties if somebody asked you to? If you have to, write them all down. Go to the Lord in prayer tear them up and say, God, they're yours. I won't worry about it anymore. I'll give it to you, just like the Bible says. How many know we can do that? We can identify it and give it to God and let it go. You say, well, no, 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 there's a better way, Chad. I list them all, then I sit and worry about them. I think about them all the time. I just sit and stew over them. I think about I do like that at West African country, and I picture how I'm going to get even. And it's going to remain on my ceiling. I'll figure out how I'm going to get even. How many of you think we do that? Anxieties, hallelujah. Listen to this story. I really like this. I read this illustration. How many remember Lee Strobel? Wrote the case for Christianity. He was an atheist reporter. And he decided to prove Christianity wrong. He decided he was going to prove that Christianity was False. Oh, was that that late? Wow. I'm going to tell two stories and I'm going to close. Ryan, come on up here. I'm sorry. Man, I was having so much fun, I didn't realize it was that late. Listen to this story. This is his words in his own book. Lee, Lee Strobel was working. Worship team, you can come on up. I'm sorry. I didn't say, okay, I'm just making sure. Lee Strobel was working for the Chicago Tribune without any intention of being caught up in faith. He was at the time a hard-nosed investigative journalist who didn't believe in God. 
Strobel's editors gave him an assignment. He was to report on the struggles of an impoverished inner city family leading up to the weeks of Christmas. He came to the Delgado family. 60-year-old Perfecta Delgado and her granddaughters, Lydia and Jenny, they had been burned out of their roach-infested apartment and were now living in a tiny two-room apartment on the west side of Chicago. As I walked in, Strobel wrote, I couldn't believe how empty it was. There was no furniture, no rugs, nothing on the walls, only a small kitchen table and a handful of rice. That's it. It was virtually devoid of any possessions. Now, how many think that people are watching us? Watching how we react, watching how we rejoice, watching how we deal with life. It says, in fact, 11-year-old Lydia and 13-year-old Jenny owned only one short-sleeved dress each, plus one thin gray sweater between the two. They walked a half mile to school through the biting cold of Chicago. Lydia would wear the sweater for part of the distance, and then she would hand it to her shivering sister, who would wear it the rest of the way. This is him reporting on what he's seen. For the Delgado family had one thing that amazed Strobel, but the Delgado family had one thing that amazed him. In the midst of very, very difficult living conditions, they had joy. Wow, that's unusual. Don't they have a reason to be mad? They had joy. It wasn't the cheap kind of joy that laughed at every joke. It was a gentle joy that had hope and peace. There was no despair in this home, nor was there any self-pity. God, said the grandmother, had not abandoned them. Strobel completed his article, complete with Perfecta's confident faith in Jesus Christ, and moved on to other assignments. But as Christmas approached, he couldn't help but think of the family who had so much joy, even as they had so little. In fact, he wrestled with their attitude in the face of such emptiness. I continued to wrestle with the irony of that situation, Strobel said. Here was a family that had nothing but faith and just seemed happy. Well, I had everything I needed materially, but lacked faith, and inside I was empty and barren as their apartment was. Strobel found an excuse to visit the family again. When he arrived, he was amazed what he saw. Readers of his article responded to the family's need in overwhelming fashion. Filled their small apartment with donations. There was new furniture, appliances, and rugs. There was a Christmas tree and stacks of wrapped presents. There was plenty of food, plenty of warm clothing for the girls. They even had a generous amount of cash that was donated. Of all the surprises of my second visit, however... Nothing prepared me for the biggest surprise of all. The grandmother and her granddaughters were busy preparing gifts, giving away all that had been given to them. Why, Strobel asked. She waved at all the gifts and said, This is wonderful. This is very good. She said, But we did nothing to deserve it. It is a gift from God. But it is not his greatest gift, she says, was words that cut to my heart as a reporter who claimed that there was no God. No, we celebrate that gift tomorrow at Christmas, and that is Jesus. He said, you can't fake rejoicing in the gift of Jesus when you're in a tough spot. Even a hardened reporter knows that. And the strobo left the tiny apartment where those uh, with very little prepared to give away what they had. Something in him longed to know the Jesus that they knew and eventually 
Strobel met Jesus. Today he uses his reporting skills and passion to write books that are read by millions as he rejoices in Jesus. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet this morning. Let's just come to the Lord and let's really be like the Delgado family. Let's rejoice. And you say, well, man, I I have less clothing than those little girls had. You might. But let's rejoice. Let's just put our joy in the Lord. Hallelujah. And let's focus, no matter how hard it gets in all circumstances, we're going to rejoice. We're going to say no to anxiety. We're going to say yes to prayer. We're going to say yes to Jesus. We're going to rejoice in all things and be gentle. Hallelujah. Let's focus on the Lord this morning. God, as we close this morning, uh, I want to give you a secret. Save the secret till the end here. Those who left missed out on it, right? Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, this is what he follows this up with, whatever is true, verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things and then God of peace will be with you oh man come on let me tell you a secret I know something about Paul because he gave hints here that people won't notice unless the spirit of God reveals it did you notice that he said don't be anxious for anything But right before he says that, he says, the Lord is near. And then at the end of that, he says, and then the God of peace will be with you. Here's the secret to all of it. Jesus was in the prison with him. I mean, know the reason why he was happy, the reason he was full of joy, the reason why he had a song was because peace was flooding his cell. He had a cell that was full of peace. You could be anywhere in that city. You could be in the most lush apartment in that city and you wouldn't have the peace and the joy that Paul had in that cell. Paul and Silas had Jesus with them. He said, then the God of peace will be with you. How many know as he began to sing, he began to pray, it says the peace that transcends it all will be upon you. And the peace filled that cell. God was with him, the God of peace. And how many know, when the, how many have ever had a worship service where the God of peace comes upon you and everything in this world just drifts away? All your problems go away. You're in the presence of God. And he says, think on all these things that are good, admirable, truthful. And then the reason they could sing was they were saying they thought they were about to be with him. They said, God is near. If this is the end, we're going to be with him. And they were celebrating. They were saying, God, we're so thankful. And they were thinking about the truth, what is true, what is noble, what is admirable. They were thinking about heaven. They were thinking about how wonderful it's to be with him. They were thinking about all the goodness of God. Their cell was full of peace and joy and love. They they forgot they had chains. 
They forgot about anxiety. They forgot about the cares. And let me give you a little story here. Because here's what's going to happen. God's going to fill you full of joy and peace. And you're going to sing the song of the redeemed. You're going to be full of joy. You're going to be full of hope. You're going to be full of all of this. And then you're going to go out there. And guess what might happen? You'll lose your song. Listen to the story. There was once a man who wanted to teach the sparrows in his garden to sing. How many have ever heard the sparrows? They chatter. They don't sing. They chatter, right? So he wanted to teach them how to sing. The sparrows knew only chatter. They knew no song at all. So he brought his canary that had a beautiful song and he hung his cage in the backyard. Church, we're that canary. We've got that song. We've got the song of the redeemed. We've got the joy through everything. So he hung this canary with in the backyard with the sparrows. And there among the chatter of the sparrows, the canary sang. The birds sang and sang and sang, but the sparrows only chattered. And because he didn't watch closely enough, the man discovered a sad truth a little too late. Within a very short period of time, the constant chatter of the sparrows so discouraged the canary that the bird lost his song. In fact, he knew only the speech of the sparrows. You and I do not live in a vacuum, it says. We're surrounded by all kinds of different birds of different feathers. And only a few of them know how to sing. Hallelujah. Church, don't lose your song. That song was put there for the redeemed to sing. We can't lose our song. We can't forget to praise and rejoice and worship because guess what? The world needs to hear that song in the middle of our distress. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, put a song in their heart, Lord God. Put joy and peace that only comes from you. Lord, let them turn their anxiety into peace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah.